Yeah, don't it sound so epic? Horns are screaming, I ain't the one you wanna mess with. Use a joke, I ain't the one you wanna jest with. The battle's coming, you only got a few seconds to run. Hey everybody, this yeah. is Matt from Cincy Jungle, and this yeah. is Bengals Chalk Talk. Today, my guest is voice of the Bengals, Dan Horton. Dan, how are you today? Matt, I am great. How are you? Great. Feeling good with the news that, that broke about an hour before we started recording. Joe Mixon signing a four-year extension. He's with the Bengals for the next five years, worth $48 million total. Dan, I saw you were at practice today. You got the point from Mixon. Uh, I, <laughs> I Lind- did. Lindsey Patterson put up a video of, uh, of Gio Bernard giving him a hug. Was there a different feel practice today? Was it was it like a, a weight was lifted off anybody's shoulders at all? Or? Well, I don't know about that, but there was definitely happiness among the squad that Joe Mixon, A, was out there, and B, that this deal got done. He's very popular in the locker room. He is definitely uh, an energy provider on a daily basis. I think all of his teammates were rooting for him to get an extension, and they were clearly happy that it happened. I did not see Lindsay's video that you're referring to, but I did notice while I was out there, several guys fist pumping him, a few guys hugging him, uh, coaches coming up and shaking his hand. So uh, it's, it's definitely a happy day uh, for the guys that are on that roster. Yeah, definitely. The Bengals have a history of getting things done in camp and, and definitely good to see that happen for, for Joe. Done some really, really good things. And, you know, from everything you hear too, sounds like he's a, he's a really good teammate somebody they love having around. You did the broadcast uh, on the radio of the scrimmage this Sunday. That scrimmage was billed as, you know, the equivalent of the third preseason game, which is essentially like a dress rehearsal most years. What was pregame like? Did the Bengals go through like their normal pregame type of routine? No, they went through the routine they would go through in a normal practice. So it was not an NFL game atmosphere leading up to the scrimmage period. They were doing their individual position drills. They were spread out over the course of the entire field. So in that sense, it was not a dress rehearsal type game. It kind of felt like a practice until they got around to doing those four scrimmage periods that they did. And, and how about you? A lot, of, a lot of us have pregame rituals, and, and for somebody like you, you're, you're live on the radio You've got to be able to maintain your voice for three hours. You've got to be able to be locked in, see all the action, and be able to spit it out as it's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, you, do you have any you know, specific pregame routines you go through? Too many to articulate, quite honestly. <laughs> I'm a little bit anal when it comes to getting ready to broadcast a game. But it was, it was good for me and Lap to at least do one broadcast that was somewhat like a game. Uh, Oddly enough, not having preseason games has eliminated the toughest part of my job. Doing an NFL preseason game is very difficult, uh, particularly the early ones, because you have so many guys you have to memorize, and so Mm. few of the ones that you recognize play. The big-name guys are out after a series or two, and then it's a bunch of people that might not actually ever play in an NFL regular season game. So that's always a challenge. It's a fun challenge, uh, but it's a (laughs) challenge. Uh, But it was good to be back in our booth. Uh, doing a, a little bit longer of a broadcast than we would normally do during this time of the year. So that was good. At, at one point, Dave Lapham, uh, your broadcast partner, he sounded like he was watching a replay as he was describing what had just happened on the play. W- were you able to have access to replays? Were, were they showing uh, instant replays on the, on the scoreboard? 
you know, was it kind of a full setup for everybody in the stadium, not just the coaches and the players? No, it was not. There was no video other than the coaches' video being shot, so they did not have a, an in-house camera crew putting it up on the video board like they would for a preseason game. It's my understanding that they are planning on doing that on Thursday night when they do uh, another bit of a, kind of a preseason-type uh, atmosphere for their final scrimmage. Um, I'm not going to be there for the entirety of that one, and uh, we are not broadcasting that one on the radio, but I do think they're going to get their in-house TV crew out there just to get into practice, uh, just to, to, you know, to work out the normal kinks and be ready to go uh, for the regular season opener against the Chargers. Yeah, there's so many people involved, and, and I know uh, on the broadcast, uh, Lap was talking about the officials not having a preseason to warm up, and I think that's something that with what we're going through in the world right now that uh, a lot of us who have spent some time away from our job uh, are going to have a new appreciation for uh, for what it's like when when you have a seasonal job and you know coming in after a few months off and and even though you get years of experience, just trying to get back in there and and perform at a high level can definitely be tough. And it's going to be interesting for the officials. I think the intention was to have officials there. Uh, for that scrimmage on Sunday night, and then they learned that that was not being permitted by the NFL. That was not a Bengals decision. That was an NFL decision uh, that officials could not be there because they hadn't gone through the protocol. So the first time they are apparently going to have real officials on the field for anything they do is the regular season opener. Those guys will not have the opportunity to go through preseason games. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see how it's officiated when it counts. Normally in the preseason, there are a lot of flags uh, partly because of the guys that are on the field, but also I think because the officials are kind of remembering how to do their jobs. And it'll be interesting to see if regular season games are officiated any differently than they normally would be. There's also that adjustment period with with new rules or rule changes that have taken place. Where I feel like you see a lot of those in the preseason, and they they kind of have their little their little huddle after after that and decide what they're going to call. Yeah, definitely will be interesting. Uh, obviously, there were no fans at this scrimmage. We got their first taste of, of what it's like pumping fan noise into the uh, into the stands. You know, listening to it on the radio, it, it didn't really sound any different. You couldn't really tell. How did it seem like the players took that? Did it feel like they were able to get themselves pumped up, or was there uh, you know maybe a, not the same motivation as they would have with a with a full stance? Well, it's not the same. There's no way it could be the same. And I think that when they first turned that fake crowd noise on, all of us thought, whoa that is really loud and it it doesn't seem right. And then you quickly forgot about it. It just became the background noise. So I imagine that's what it was like for the players. I do appreciate what the NFL has tried to do with this fake crowd noise. They have used NFL films to get crowd noise from each stadium. So the fake Bengals crowd noise is actually Paul Brown stadium noise that's been accumulated over the course of the last four years by NFL films. And they've done that for every NFL team. Now, for the game last Sunday night, it was left at one level, so they didn't raise it slightly for a reception or for a sack or uh, for a touchdown or anything like that. I think that's a work in progress. I think they might raise it and lower it a little bit based on the game situation. But if they do, I think every team would have a kind of a neutral sound engineer provided by the NFL so that they can eliminate the possibility of the home team trying to, you know, really affect the game by cranking it way up when the other team has the ball and leaving it low when your team does. 
uh, they would try to make that as equitable as possible. Well, that's really interesting. I didn't realize they were doing all that. So if you are a Bengals season ticket holder, listen closely, <laughs> you, you, you might be appearing on the broadcast. So. Um, yeah, you'd have to no. listen really, really closely. But uh, <laughs> if you yelled something really specific over the cast, uh, case of the last four years, it might pop up on one of those broadcasts. Now, the, uh, the linebacker position uh, is of huge interest for the Bengals right now. They basically overhauled uh, that position with Jermaine Pratt, Jordan Evans coming back. But other than that, you've got a uh, handful of rookies in there, and they've got some free agent acquisitions. So in the uh, scrimmage overall, uh, what did you think of that group, specifically uh, how they played against the pass? Jermaine Pratt stood out for his coverage, particularly in a deep ball to C.J. Uzama, where he's right in his grill. And I thought that his pass coverage throughout looked good. Uh, Logan Wilson broke up a pass and also might have been close to having a sack on uh, Joe Burrow. So I thought he had a decent game. I didn't really think anybody else jumped out at that position. And I say that, that sounds like a negative, but in a sense, it's also a positive. Nobody jumped out for being bad either. They were generally where they needed to be. Uh, and I, for me at least, that kind of describes how I feel about the three rookie draft picks uh, in training camp. I'm not sure that Wilson, Davis Gaither, or Bailey has really jumped out either positively or negatively. They've moved well. They look good in the drills. Uh, they, they generally, I think, have done a decent job when they've done scrimmage-like activity, but I'm not sure any of those guys has wowed me on a regular basis, and I suppose it would have been nice uh, for one of them to do that, but that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, and, and, and like you said, the good news about that is that those guys might not be necessarily standing out in that way, but that also means that, that Josh Bynes and Jermaine Pratt must be looking pretty good. I would agree with that, and I think those will be the two guys that start the season in the starting lineup. Um, but I do think that there's going to be a lot of movement at that position. We've seen it throughout camp. They are shuffling them in and out, trying different combinations, see which guys work best based on down and distance, and I would imagine uh, this is going to be one of those seasons where a bunch of those guys get a ton of defensive snaps. You're not going to see two or three guys get uh, 80 or 90%. Yeah, absolutely, and and all those young guys really good against the pass. Uh, Davis Gaither was a guy who – pretty much played edge, even though he's a smaller guy. You know, sending him off the edge in certain situations will make a lot of sense for them. Uh, so, yeah, it would be very interesting to see how defense coordinator Lou Anarumo gets the best out of out of that entire group. Uh, and obviously with, with, with Bynes, we've heard a ton of praise of, of Bynes uh, for his performance and his mentorship uh, of those younger players. Yeah, particularly his mentorship. They talk about him almost like he's a coach instead of a teammate, so I think that's been great. And I don't think that he's going to be out there on third and long. They don't need him to do that. Uh, that's what these younger, faster guys are best suited to do, and that's fine. And as for Akeem Davis Gaither, when he talks about last season at Appalachian State when he was the Sun Belt Defensive Player of the Year, he describes his position as nickel. So not a nickel cornerback, but somebody who lined up in that area, whether he was going to rush or cover. And that's become kind of a common spot on college football teams. Uh, the University of Cincinnati certainly has a position that fits that description. That's kind of a hybrid safety linebacker. And Davis Gaither is morphing more into a pure linebacker at the NFL level. But that's how he describes his role last year at App State. Yeah, and, and it's definitely something we saw – Sean Williams used in a similar way last year uh, as a safety who was, who was lined up a bit as a linebacker and, and 
definitely expect some of that out of Von Bell as well. Marcus Bailey is the guy that's kind of forgotten about sometimes uh, when we have these conversations about the young linebackers. But, you know, he had a, a, an excellent career at Purdue. Unfortunately for him coming off that injury, but Bengals could potentially get a, get a steal with him in, in round seven with really all of those guys, all three of those guys, including Logan Wilson, day two talent. Yeah, and it's exciting to see how those guys played in the passing game at the college level. Logan Wilson had 10 interceptions. Marcus Bailey had six even though he missed all of last year, basically. He suffered his injury in week two. Uh, so when you've got linebackers that can make plays on the ball like that, I, I think it will translate to the NFL level. They might not have that many interceptions, but I do think they will be, be certainly better in coverage than what we've seen for the last several years in Cincinnati. Absolutely. Now, on the stat sheet, Joe Burrow's numbers were down compared to the previous scrimmage. Zach Taylor mentioned in this post-game press conference that there were too many drops. Of course, Joe's not going to be calling out teammates like that. He didn't say anything about that. He just said he needs to get better. Now, what did you think of, of Burrow's performance in that scrimmage? Are those stats deceiving? I think they're a little bit deceiving, partly because of the drops, as Zach mentioned, and also because of the guys that were out there with him. He did not have Auden Tate. Um, you know, everybody talked about how A.J. Green and John Ross were not out there, but Auden Tate has been – the best weapon in the passing game throughout this training camp, and he was not out there in the scrimmage on Sunday. So, you know, you remove those three guys, that's a pretty significant uh, subtraction in the passing game, uh, particularly A.J. and Auden. So uh, that certainly uh, impacted Joe Burrow's statistics in that. And I did think that the pass rush was effective in that scrimmage, certainly more effective than it was in the first scrimmage. I thought Sam Hubbard applied fairly consistent heat um, they blitzed more than they had previously, and that was a factor. So I didn't think Joe Burrow was bad by any stretch of the imagination, but uh, I, I do think that those things contributed to his numbers not being quite as gaudy as they had been previously. Well, definitely good to turn up the heat on him a little bit before before it's the Chargers and, and Bosa turning up the heat on him. Uh, <laughs> definitely want to yeah. want to see him make those adjustments before before it's counting for real. Uh, now, C.J. Uzama was targeted early and often in the scrimmage, but both he and Drew Sample ended up with three receptions. Does there seem to be a preference between those two, or, or do you think we're going to see a heavy dose of both of them in the regular season? I would say that Uzama is probably slightly ahead now based on experience. Um, my guess is they will probably play them together more than they played two tight ends last year. Uh, just based on how the season evolved last year. I think we saw that more toward the tail end of the year last year than we saw at the beginning. So I just have a gut feeling that they will probably try to do that more. I guess we'll see. Uh, but I do think both of them are going to get plenty of opportunities. The fact that they were going to CJ, as you mentioned, early and often really stood out to me. I think he was targeted on three of the first four or three of the first five passes he had the longest pass reception of the game, about a 33-yarder. Uh, and uh, certainly that was uh, a big part of Joe Burrow's game last year at LSU, not just tight end Thaddeus Moss, uh, who was a good player in his own right, but just uh, hitting guys in the middle of the field, whether it was Justin Jefferson or the tight end or really anybody working in the middle of the field. I think that that's something he does especially well. Tyler Boyd and Mike Thomas also each had three receptions. Both of those guys have been talked about as – players who have developed a, a quick rapport with Burrow. And, you know, those are guys that have, they, they say the best ability is, is availability sometimes. And, you know, those are guys that have, have been around where we've seen 
Ross and Green miss some time. Do you think that that's going to be a big factor for those two receivers specifically, that they've had that, that time to really develop the relationship with Burrow and Camp? Well, I think for Tyler Boyd, definitely. He's probably uh, caught more passes from Joe Burrow than anybody else in this camp. For Mike Thomas, you know, you would think that once the, the main guys are out there, he's just not going to get that many opportunities um, based on who's ahead of him on the totem pole. But who knows what will happen? Uh, you know, injuries are inevitable. And I think Mike Thomas has had a really good camp. I'll be honest, when he signed, I thought he was likely to be a special teams guy. That seemed to be his role over the last few years of the Rams. But he has been very effective in the passing game. It's kind of made me uh, go back and, and look at his history a little bit more closely. And he had a gigantic final year at Southern Miss, set the all-time school record for receiving yards in a season. And he only had 10 catches his entire four-year tenure with the Rams, but he missed an entire season. Uh, the Super Bowl year, he got hurt, I think, in week one, and basically he missed the entire year. So you know, that might have been a factor for why he wasn't used much in the passing game there. So we talked a little bit about Marcus Bailey. We talked a little bit about uh, Akeem Davis-Gaither. Was there anybody in the scrimmage who stood out to you that maybe just didn't really get talked about? Tony Brown would be the guy that fits that description. Cornerback who started some games for the Green Bay Packers over the last couple of years. The Bengals signed him one day after the season ended last year, claimed him off waivers uh, after Green Bay let him go. And, you know, he's a guy in camp that he's been getting his reps with the second team, and you, you just kind of figure out, well, that guy's scraping for a, a spot on the bottom of the roster of the practice squad. And then he comes out in that scrimmage and nearly had two interceptions. Uh, Trenton Irwin had to make an excellent play to basically rake the ball away from him uh, on the second of those two. And that was a case where I had to go back and look a little bit more closely at his history to try and get a sense of uh, exactly what the Bengals have there. And he's a guy that played at Alabama, was part of two national championship teams, had an interception in his final national championship game, and ran track, was an All-American uh, as a track athlete at Alabama. So, I think he's a guy that uh, definitely made a strong impression, uh, impression on Sunday night. And since they've got some injury questions in the secondary, uh, particularly with Trey, Trey Waynes being out, maybe Tony Brown is a guy that uh, winds up playing a more significant role than I thought he would. Yeah, that was interesting that, that he was uh, getting a jump on some of those balls in that game. LaShawn Sims was a guy that was getting a little more talk than we expected after the, the Waynes injury and Phillips getting kicked inside with Mackenzie Alexander not being around as well. So definitely going to be interesting to, to see how that works out. Yeah, even before Mackenzie Alexander went back uh, home because of his father's situation, LaShawn Sims was getting a lot of uh, reps with the ones in the spot that we thought that Darius Phillips was going to slide right into. I mean, as soon as Trey Waynes went down, most of us assumed that, okay, well, Darius Phillips gets a shot now. And on day one, he did move into that spot. But then in the days that followed, it was often LaShawn Sims. It seemed like it was coming down to a battle between those two uh, to replace Trey Waynes in the starting lineup while he's out. So LaShawn Sims is definitely a guy that uh, they feel good about signing after the time that he spent with Tennessee the last few years. Once again, my guest today was radio voice of the Bengals, Dan Horde. We were actually talking a little bit before we, uh, we started recording here. And, you know, if you are somebody like me who's out of region, there are ways, there are, are, are things that you can do to uh, get the radio broadcast and hear the Bengals live during the season. 
So you might want to look into that for, for those of you. I know there's a lot of people like me that are, that are spread out all over the country. Um, Dan, where can people follow you on social media? I'm most active on Twitter, and my handle is Dan underscore Horde. My last name is spelled H-O-A-R-D. I'm on Instagram and Facebook as well, but most of the stuff that I do in social media I do on Twitter. So that would be the first place to check. All right. Well, thank you very much once again for joining me, and thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Matt Minnick for Cincy Jungle. Who day? Yeah, we're coming forward.